how do humans work, right? Like I did not take enough human sciences. I did not take enough biology about how the brain works. Like I was terribly equipped for leadership. As a society, it's not like we, we train people to be good leaders. Welcome to the Super Managers Podcast, where we interview leaders from all walks of life to tease out the habits, thought patterns, learnings, and experiences that help them be extraordinary at the fine craft of management. Our goal is to bring you the lessons and the insights so that you don't have to learn through your own mistakes, but so that you can shortcut your way to being a great leader. This podcast is brought to you by Fellow, a software platform that helps managers and their teams work better together. Check it out at www.fellow.app. Hey, fellow managers and leaders, I'm Aiden, and I'm the CEO of Fellow.app. Today, I'm excited to bring to you a conversation I had with Jean-Michel Lemieux, the Chief Technology Officer at Shopify. Jean-Michel has an impressive career history. Prior to joining Shopify, he served as the VP of Engineering at Atlassian, where he helped grow the engineering and design team from 100 people to over 500 employees in less than four years. And prior to that, he was chief architect for the Rational Team Concert, a division at IBM. In this episode, you're going to get an exclusive look at a handbook that Jean-Michel wrote for leaders at Shopify. We talk about so many different concepts, including the extroversion myth, the importance of knowing when to lead and when to follow, and a playbook of how to do that, and what it means to treat your team as a connected network of brains. I was honored to have this conversation with Jean-Michel, and I'm sure that you're going to feel inspired after listening to all this leadership advice, and you're going to get a bunch of tactical inputs that you can apply directly to your teams. So without further ado, here's Jean-Michel Lemieux on episode 15 of the Super Managers podcast. Jean-Michel, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Aiden. I'm very excited to chat about this handbook that you wrote that I guess is, is obviously you're distributing to managers, the technical leaders at Shopify, and, and we'll spend a lot of time talking about that. But you know, given you know, your background, you were chief architect at IBM, you're VP engineering at Atlassian, and now obviously CTO at Shopify, even before going into that stuff, I have to rewind. And it sounds like you've been a leader for a long time. I'm curious, like in your opinion, in your history, who's been the most memorable leader or boss that you've come across? And, and why did you think that way? Maybe the, my, my first memorable boss was my first boss who um, left a month after I started and I inherited his code base. And, you know, I think the, an important lesson early on was um, people spend way more time reading your code than you spend writing it. So I think that that affected me. Like, listen, I was right out of university. I did my co-op at that company and my boss left and, you know, I inherited his entire code base. It was a dis- large distributed system that did fraud detection to t- telephone networks. And, uh, it was, I was like, man, okay, this code base is not something that I can, like, he did not build this for someone else to understand. And I think that stuck with me right now. Maybe that's not a leadership thing, but it is around communication, you know, like as, as engineers, as we build things, um, a lot of what you build, um, is uh, collaborative and other people have like, and, and especially with code, people read your code more than you spend time writing it. And 
like how do you make it so that people can participate in what you've built, right? And so that really hit me because as engineers, we spend a lot of our time building things. And I think that that also helped me because I did a lot of open source work. I spent about you know eight years full-time open source. And when you're building communities around, around software and around what you're building, um, a lot of it's not actually in the writing of the code, right? It's in a lot of other activities, right? Whether it be how you engage with the community, how you, you know, take feedback from your community and, and then people are going to be writing, like reading your code a lot more. So I think that was really memorable just from a, I think as a, a engineering leadership perspective, like as you lead engineering teams, like it's something I think you have to be on the lookout for. And obviously my first boss just dropped it on my desk and had a, a bit of a hard lesson. But a, another really good boss after that was, I actually forget what his name when I was prepping for this. I was like, man, it started with a J. Maybe I'll call him Jason. Okay. Maybe I'll make up a, a name, Jason. You know, when you're, you're young, you're starting your career, you have a lot of questions. And I, I, I have a visual memory of Jason always turning around, stopping what he was doing when I entered his office and he always had time for me. And it was such a, like, it was such a visceral moment. Like, you know, over time he was obviously trying to make, make sure that I could fish by myself, but just the fact that he was like, listen, I'm here to help you. I love that you have questions and let me give you some context. I really, like I learned so much and I just learned the fact that that little cue of him turning and going, cool, how can I help you? Was like, that's all I needed, right? I didn't need a boss to do performance management. I didn't need a boss to keep me accountable. For, like, I just wanted someone who really wanted to help me learn, you know? And as an engineering, like I'm, I'm here because I want to learn things. And I think the, the time he made for me made a big impact. And I, 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 I have cues now and obviously our lives are busier, right? Like when do people just want to get some context and want some feedback? They want to, they want to know what you think. And those are really like, that's as a, as a leader, um, that's really important that you build a culture where, where like they want to come to you. Right. And you, you make time for doing that. So maybe those are the two most like pretty impactful uh, early, early managers that I had. Yeah. And, and that makes a lot of sense. I mean, e even in the first case where you were talking about writing code that other people can read, I think, you know, it translates to other areas of the company as well. Like just this concept of, yeah, you know, I, we can make sure a project gets done, but if we don't get it done in a sustainable way that when someone else takes it over, they're going to be able to continue to run with it. I mean, I think that's a very astute sort of observation, making sure to give people the presence and not, uh, I guess this doesn't apply because we're not in offices anymore, but not like continuing to type out that email while you're having a conversation and on the phone at the same time probably makes a big deal. I'd love to basically spend a bunch of time going through, you know, this handbook. We're going to talk a lot about the handbook and I'm curious, do you intend to ever uh, publish this for public consumption as well for, for those that are interested? I mean, it started as like the JML survival guide for being a manager. And then, you know, it turned into, you know, let's make sure I can, I can share some of the learnings and I'd love to, you know, you know, inspiring by, you know, what Rands did by, you know, obviously read Managing Humans and, you know, trying to read as many books as possible. Um, I'd like to, I, I, I always worry that it's, it's a bit, it's my experience and I, I, you know, I'm, I'm always, it's kind of not done yet. So I think if it's done, it might, I'd be open to publishing it. I got a lot of good feedback that it's been valuable. So anyway, so I, I guess I got distracted with running Shopify at this point, but uh, you're actually the first person outside of Shopify to see it. Oh, very cool. That, that, that's how kind of maybe sub, a bit of it subconsciously, a bit of imposter syndrome of like, well, what am I to do about talking about leadership kind of things? Yeah. I mean, I feel very privileged. So, so let's get into it. Let's talk about being a manager. Everybody thinks about it as a promotion, but you say that it's not quite a promotion. People think it's a promotion. I think it's a career change. There's actually an image at the top of the handbook 
Uh, I think it's someone typing into Quora or the internet going, how can I be a technical manager of teams or something? And it's like, what the hell, like WTF, what am I doing? And I think the emotional response I wanted to get out of using the word career change is, I think that's the, the, the way you've got to lean into the new job. Think about this in like a context of how we all learned. Like we, we became into uh, the, the roles that we had, right, in tech companies is, you know, you go to school, you learn all the science you're supposed to learn. Maybe you're lucky and took a sociology class, of which I did not take. You go to university and you're so focused on building things, learning how to program, learning how to write well. You're, you're doing assignments. Like I, I had no classes on how do humans work, right? Like I did not take enough human sciences. I did not take enough biology about how the brain works. Like I was terribly equipped for leadership um, and mostly just be like, Again, I wasn't taking my fault. Like as a as a society, it's not like we we train people to be good leaders, right? We train people to know math and study and memorize. But um, like I would actually throw out most of the education curriculum and actually change things. I think there's a lot about how humans work that I was duly equipped. So for me, as a career change is like, listen, you're you're kind of leaning humans now, and humans are this weird thing, right? <laughs> like we're this unfinished biological thing that you kind of had to understand how humans work. And I know that most of you have not studied it because our education system does not force us to study humans when we probably should. During my own journey is, is, you know, as I stumbled, you know, screwed up, a lot of it was by my lack of kind of spending time studying and re, like taking my own, like having to build my own curriculum of, of how people, how humans work and how we communicate, languages, cultures, how to get shit done, right? Um, and that's, that, that's what I was trying to evoke there. And that's, that, that's, I mean, at some point, maybe people will read this, but that was the, the, how I wanted to start it so people would get into the mindset, right? I'm going, cool, I've got to relearn and learn new stuff. And it's not that you, you know, people were bad, like people are inherently bad at it. It's just no one's taught everyone any of this. Yeah. Right? And, and, and some people were by osmosis were really good at picking it up. If you look at how much time we spend teaching people about other things, like this is like 0.1% of what we teach people, right? Before we end up in these jobs. So. Yeah, totally. And it's like, even even for your own skills, if you're an engineer or you're a finance person, I mean, you're continuously working on keeping up to date and, and learning. And, and it's the same thing with, with the, the management side of things. There's this thing that you talk about, and I think it's really interesting, because I feel like even I had this uh, belief system for a while, which is that, you know, great managers or great leaders, uh, they're extroverted like that that's what they are and like if I'm going to be a great leader then I need to turn myself into an extrovert <laughs> but you basically I mean you don't agree with that no and I think um, maybe that was the second part of the the handbook where I was like one of the biggest um, like mental blocks I had about maybe leaning into leadership was I opted out of it because one is I'm uh, a bit more of an introvert you know I you know enjoy hanging out at home and reading or doing other things. I'm like, listen, I'll, I'll leave leadership to the extroverts because they've got to spend all their time with people. Maybe it was the Peter Drucker book that I read that I, I was like, well, at some point I did have really good managers, right? Who were a bit more, um, you know, I, I've seen a var variety of styles, but the P Peter Drucker book was, was fascinating around him actually studying leaders and going, listen, like if there's one quality trait that's similar between all these people who've had like really important leadership jobs, not just you know, nothing to do with technology, but prime ministers and leaders of like companies have had like innovated crazily is the actual habits they have, not, not what their personality type is. Right. And that, that got me into cool. Like what habits do people have who've been, who've been able to make an impact on this planet that we have? And he talks about three things. And when, when he talks about those three things, I'm like, Oh, I like doing those things. 
right? I think like, I'll just by memory, right? The three, like, I, I think he has a list of, of like 11 like habits, but they can be collapsed into three things, right? Like being um, really ruthless about getting knowledge you need to make decisions, right? Like getting context, like, like super context hungry, um, acting on that and working as a team, like building a great team that does that. I'm like, so when I was like, oh my God, you just described exactly what I like doing, you know? So that, that took out the personality type and turned it into habits. And I thought that was a really good mindset thing that, that, that allowed me to, to really lean into leadership, I think, and go, cool, I can do this. Cool. It's not, you know, I, I, I guess I, I went from opting out to opting in based on, on, you know, some of, some of that feedback, which I, and, or maybe people shining a light on something that's always been there, but I, I hadn't seen it as, as crisp. And also, I know there's a really good book. I forget what it's called again. I have a bad memory for book names, but around, around introverts, right? Around like there's a, you know, 50% of the world, I guess, if you draw a line on personality types, like people are on that side. And I've learned how to fake things as well, right? And actually there's, in that book, they say a lot of great actors actually are more introverts because you have to practice a bit more. So I do have to put a lot more effort into it. And it's, I've, I've used that as a bit of a catalyst um, for things. It took some people and some books to give me a good kick in the ass to, to wake up and realize that, that uh, it, it could be a positive thing. And I had to, you know, let's not opt out of leadership because of that. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's uh, super inspirational for all, all the introverts out there. It's amazing. So I think the other thing that I find really interesting is that obviously, I, I think when society, we, we all started working and started forming companies, it was very much a, I, I would say we probably leaned towards very top-down oriented management stuff. And now there's uh, kind of like this movement on servant leadership, which is it's all about serving your team. And what I like that you you talk about is that it's, it's actually a little bit of both. And you sometimes lead and you sometimes follow. You just have to figure out what to do and when. Um, I'd love for you to just uh, maybe, maybe help us explore you know, how much time should we spend leading and following and when should we do either or? Yeah, I think you, you explained it really well. I think the challenge I have with a lot of, I'd say manager self-help books or one line inspirational um, uh, tidbits about being a leader is there's a lot more nuance, you know, like servant leadership. I get a bit of heebie-jeebies when I ask someone, I'm going, Hey, what's your management style? They go, I'm servant leader. I'm like, Okay, so that's 20% of your time. What do you do the rest of the time? <laughs> you know, like it's, I, I think as, as leaders, um, as you, you progress, you have to develop multiple tools for different situations. And I think the, the leaders I've seen, I'm not going to use the word fail because that's, that's pretty dramatic, but people have been the least effective, you know, because I think leadership, like, your job is to, is to probably get more out of the situation you're in, team, et cetera, by, by bringing context and all that. Like those who have not been able to do that or those I find have been, they've had a mono tool. They've had one tool that you use and they use it all the time for the exact same reason, right? So it's like, whether it's be top down, I'm top down all the time, cool. Or I'm servant leader all the time. So I've been trying to always develop like how's, like what's a good mix? And I think that's, that's what I was getting at around a bit of a formula that I came up with. Actually, I didn't come up, actually, Jay Parikh, who's a, who ran engineering at Facebook, Actually, um, I stole it from him. I don't know where he got it from, but he, he was saying that I was like, where do you spend your time, Jay? And he's like, listen, I, I, with every one of the people who reports to me, here's what I tell them. I said, 25% of my time, I'm your boss and I'll keep you accountable for big goals. I'll keep you, you know, I'll push you, stretch you, make you better comfortable. That's, that's my job, right? I'm, I'm going to bring some context to that. So that's 25% of my time, 50% of my time, I'm your peer. And as a peer, what do you do as peers is I need you to brainstorm with me. Like I need you when we have conversations to bring uh, challenges, questions. I want to know what kind of decisions you're trying to make. And I'm going to go into brainstorming mode with you. And it would be 
terribly ineffective if you cannot tap into my collect like our collective experience and we can have those chats. And then 25% of the time, I work for you. And in our one-on-ones, I expect you to bring homework assignments that I have to do on your behalf. Right. So that's basically a 25, 50, 25 model. And what's super interesting about that kind of that mindset is is for each one of those leadership tools, you've got to kind of work out with the team that you work with, like how do you like how do you actually do that? Because I think these are habits that aren't well known. Um, I think I have a lot of leaders who've come work for me where again, a myth is is that leaders should come in and take all your problems away and go away. And if you hear from them, that's bad. You know, so that, that actually that's and that's basically like a lethal error, I think, in, in leadership is, you know, like if I hire a, a VP or director that, that that they think their job is to make sure that I don't have any problems and that I don't have to think about it anymore. But actually, that's not true. And, and, and so that that 50 percent of how do I how do we work as a peer is really important because I think we don't know what that looks like. And, and what I tell people is like, listen, I, I'd love to have, you know, a, a Slack, an email once a week with like what problems are you trying to solve in your area? And I can give you, I'll, I'll spend half an hour and I'll give you some feedback, right? I'll, I'll say, sometimes I'll say, I have no friggin' idea. <laughs> sometimes I'm going to ask some questions about why is that the most important thing? And sometimes if I've worked in that area, I'll go, cool, here's some experiences I have with that. And, but I think if you don't have that dialogue going and openness both ways of sharing that, that, that I, I find our relationships go south, it's really hard to build trust with people. Cause I, but for me, I build trust by, by understanding how people think about problems. But if they never let me in and it's saying actually like he's my boss, I don't I just want to make sure he doesn't like if he shows up at, you know, or if he slacks me, something's wrong, that's bad. But I, I wanted to encourage a bit more of a, a a collaborative kind of relationship with people that, that work with me. So again, the the 25, 50, 25 is that nuanced leadership. Bring a bunch of tools to the table and then train your team on how do they engage you to pull you into helping out, right? And the companies we're building for the future are ones that are, I hate the word agile, but they're like, we're building a connected networks of brains, not a tree of brains, you know? So I'm trying to, trying to tap that. Yeah. I actually really like that. The connected network of brains and not a tree of brains. I like that a lot. And, and I like what you said. I mean, it's never just black or white, you know, one model or the other. I, yeah. I mean, solve from first principles. That, that's excellent. Yeah. But, I, but it's, it's amazing how many people get stuck up on this. Again, like, no, this is not taught anywhere. You know, like literally, like the, probably the simplest thing anyone can do as a manager to be a better manager is look at your month. And if you, if you almost separate the, the, like every time you had an interaction with your team, were you acting as a boss, as a peer or, or as their employee? And then how did you go about doing that? Right. How did you solicit feedback? How did you give very direct feedback? Cause you know what? People are shitty at being bosses too going, by the way, I needed to do this right now. Trust me. It has to be done by Friday. Like people are super uncomfortable doing that. Right. And then employees are super uncomfortable getting their bosses involved in maybe soliciting feedback, you know? And so I, I think it's a, a really good exercise to look at your month and go, what kind of tools that I use as a manager over this month and make sure that, as you said, right, you've got a, a good diversity in your portfolio of tools you use. And I think if you only use one, then you should probably look in the mirror and, and, um, you're probably not not getting the most out of your team and your relationships. I, I like where you, you took that because I think it's a, a perfect segue into something I was going to ask you about. I mean, you mentioned that a lot of people are not comfortable saying that, trust me, I need this by Friday, just do it. And maybe a lot of that is this discomfort of, or, or this notion of potentially being disliked. And for a lot of people, I mean, for humans in general, I mean, we're mostly not wired not to be liked. Evolution has taught us that it's good for people to like you, but you think that being liked all the time can be really bad. 
So I'd love for you to dig into that. Yeah, you, I mean, you're right. I think uh, biology's uh, forced us, yeah, forced us to make sure we don't get killed. And sometimes being nice is is a really good strategy for not being killed. There's a quote I, I read a long time ago around just saying like the 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 success and value you're going to get out of, out of life is direct directly attributed to the amount of uh, uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have during your lifetime, right? With your spouse, with your kids, with your friends, et cetera, with your parents. Um, and I think that that really stuck. But I think what we're trying to get about not being liked or having uncomfortable conversations is just is is just one is avoiding politics, right? Like being pretty clear that your team understands what you value. And the other thing is there's a lot of things we have to get better at. And if we tiptoe around that and and if we don't in some way build a culture where we think that that like every individual in my team is kind of in control of their emotions and that you have to take responsibility for that. And what, what we have to do is we've got to, again, we've got to get down to first principles and sometimes it's going to hurt, right? It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be direct. We're going to do it in different ways. And sometimes, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to screw up on communicating and I expect you to um, read between the lines and understand that I'm not a perfect human as well, right? So that's that's where it's like I, I think a team's ability to have those crucial conversations is is really important. I think if you if you try to be liked, you're going to do things like you know, like just a super simple example is like you know you've got to pick one of two people on your team to give that project to, and you pick person A, right? And and to her you go, hey, listen, I picked you, you're the best person for the job, um, for these reasons here we have to get done. And for person B, you go to him and you go. Um, listen, I really would have liked that you you had this, but listen, you know, circumstances set up. My boss kind of forced my hand, and you know, I gave it to that other person, and she's going to get it. And and you're like, that's really shitty. Like that's politics. That's not being honest, right? And uh, and and I think a manager in that situation was like, just and I, I I want that person to know I'm on their side, right? But what would a way better chat would have been? Listen, person A, she's um, you know she has really good experience doing this. This is a really critical project. I've given it to her, you know, for these reasons. I'd love, really love you to support her in doing this job. You know, like that. That's all the chat could be, right? Like, don't, don't, don't leave this saying that your your job is not to, or, or that your job is to control everyone's feelings. I think it's to get, um, it's to make an impact. It's to uh, make sure people see their blind spots and that people get like raw good like high value information about things so they, they can grow. It's hard for us, as you said, I don't, I don't think we're wired for that, um, but I think you can practice it. And I think um, like for me, one thing is I, I do actually, when I have these conversations, actually writing down like observable things, concrete feedback like helps me because I find improvising this is actually really hard because again, we're not wired for it. So I think like having these conversations um, requires a bit of work, but I think going around as a manager and, 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 I guess try to figure out what you want to be liked for. Yeah. Because I think you can be liked for being kind of a no BS, um, authentic person. You don't want to be liked for being someone who fakes it. Yeah. I, I love the example that you gave. I feel like that that's just something that we're naturally wired to do. One of the, I mean, interesting things about that is it might be more painful in the short term because, you know, you have to do more work. Maybe you have to prep for that conversation and so on and so forth. But in the long term, you know, I think people can read through you just trying to placate them, and in the long term, it, it's probably much more beneficial in you know building that connected network of brains as, as you talked. And I think you have to practice. Like the more you do it, the better. Like I, I had a someone a couple of years ago start right, and especially like managing more senior people, um, they come in with 
you know, like we all do, right? Like, uh, like, you know, I've had to be managed. I've had some rough feedback that I did not, ex like, I did not catch it until it was given raw enough that I was like, holy, sh holy crap. Okay. I did not see that. So for example, you know, senior person comes at a director level, maybe VP level, and they're going about their things. And, you know, I, I get signals from the team, right? And whenever I have one-on-ones, you know, she's going, yeah, it's good. Everything's good. The team's operating. And then at some point I'm like, I was trying to, you know, feed her signals about something. And then I had to say, listen, the team does not trust you. And I stopped. I kept a pause. Because I was like, that's a bad, like not having trust in your team is like a bad thing. And I, I was like, why did I never tell her that? Because that, that's exactly the root cause of all this. I'm like, you see they have trust with a, a, a small T. And I think you need a capital T. And they don't, and you not have it. So stop everything else you're doing. You need that trust. I, I could tell that one is I, I was afraid of saying that right off the bat. Because I think people... Like they're hurt when they're saying not trust. Like that's actually a human, like that's hurt, right? Trust is a big thing. And I, but I was like, I really had to put my finger on it. And I think that was a bit of a failing. It took me two months to really just say the most obvious thing, which is like, stop everything. You don't have trust. We have to work on that thing. And I could tell right in her face that that was, she was like, holy shit. And then, and then I, I literally, I outlined five examples. I was like this, like if you had capital T trust, these things wouldn't have happened and you'd be able to get this thing done, right? So here's, let's, let's work on that. I try and do that with feedback now is trying, like I find it's my personal responsibility now to, to hone in on the one or two things that, that, that people don't see, that, that no, the people on their team probably won't tell them that it's, it's my job as a leader to, maybe that's like, maybe your ultimate job is to hone in on that and really d deliver it where it has impact. You can help people grow. Yeah, I, it's such a great example. You know, one of the things that I, I have to ask you about, you obviously work at a company that, you know, obviously started from a group of people and now is like many, many thousands of people. And uh, what, you know, at, at a high level, the, the company, I mean, continues to innovate and you continue to produce great products. And one of the questions I, I've had to ask you about is, and, and you know, here's what you said in, in the handbook, which is you can't delegate the process of innovation and quality. So I wanted to understand uh, from you for managers and leaders out there, like how do you, like what level of involvement is, is required and how do you make sure that your teams can kind of contribute to um, both innovation and quality? That's a really good question. Um, do we have another two hours to talk about this? Because I think this is the <laughs> correct, I mean, you're right. This is actually a big part of the, the that, that little handbook that I wrote was there's also a bit of a myth around leadership that again, because we're not taught this is that like your job is to be a hands-off manager, right? Your job is to build a team and that team is just going to go off and do things. Yeah, we hear it often, hire smart people and get out of the way. You're very rarely in that perfect equilibrium space. Now, just think about growing a company. You're hiring new people, right? You're putting them in roles where they might not have context. You've got people who are in new roles that maybe haven't seen that kind of, like you're in this constant state of, of like chaos of orgs, right? Of people with different experiences, context, and you've got to bring that energy and like make sure they're we're going to build something that's two percent better than maybe we would have if we wouldn't have you know magically maybe spent a bit more energy on things and i think this comes back to the word strategy you know like if you think about it you hire leaders and they're like cool my job's to be the strategist and i often ask people i'm like well what do you think strategy is imagine that's your title like what do you do you know some people will say well my, my job's to point the team in the right direction and and pick what direction they're going to go in and and get out of the way and and some other people have a much more nuanced version of what strategy is now if you look at the actual definition of strategy like it actually comes from a greek word that was 
I'll, I'll massacre, but strategos about, and that's what you call generals in, in, in the army. And um, to win a battle, you realize that as a general, as someone doing strategy, you have to know a lot more about how things are going to unroll in the battlefield, right? You need a view of the terrain. You have to understand what your troops are like. You have to understand where there'll be positioned. You have to understand if there's water, if there's bridges, what the topography is look like. And then you've got to start and you've got to adjust, right? You're going to get everything wrong. Like your strategy at the beginning is going to be wrong. And if you look at the handbook for really great generals is that they both had a, 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 a I guess an in-depth view that strategy was multi-layered, right? Like you had to understand a lot of things about strategy. And then when you started playing, you had to adjust because things are going to change. And I think what I said about like making sure a company innovates is leaders in a company have to build a, like strategy has to be detailed, right? It has to be multi-layered, right? It has to be going, you know, for Shopify, like we're going to build like online store renderers that are going to use this kind of technology. We're going to, you know, I think we need this kind of team on it and then we're going to start building it and we're going to adapt. And I take personal responsibility for helping the team make some of those decisions because some of those are going to be hard. Some of them I have to make. So I think what we've tried to build from a cultural perspective of Shopify is demystify the word strategy that our jobs um, not to do it in a, a like a, a very simplistic view, but that we have to build it a bit more like I think it was intended in, in the way the Greeks actually define strategy is it's multi-layered and it's adaptive. And so, so imagine that you're a leader of a, of a you know, product company, engineering company. What does it mean for you to implement a multi-layered and adaptive strategy is you have to understand things, right? Like I have to, like, I still look at code as a CTO of Shopify, I still look at code. So I think code reflects some part of how we're writing Shopify. And I've got to look at the UX. I've got to understand new technologies. I've got to meet with teams and understand what kind of decisions they're making. And I've got to, you know, help them point in a good direction. And then I, I, I've got to check in once in a while, you know, like that's, and I think we've, we've built that as a, a bit of a cultural thing at Shopify. That's been important because at the end of the day, I think the environments we're working in are super complex that uh, we all kind of have to get involved somehow. And, and over time, like, like I, obviously there's teams that I've built at Shopify that I, I check in on and not that regularly, but that's because we did, we spent a lot of time in strategy. We spent a, a lot of time building trust. We've aligned on, I guess, principles about how we want to work. And then I've trust that they can do strategy properly in the, the more nuanced way of doing strategy. And I think when people show me that they can do that is when, you know, I can start onboarding a, a new team. Maybe a good exercise for listeners is like what, what do you think the word strategy means? As, as leaders, it's such a, a baked word, like you uh, becoming comfortable with what it means. And I, I encourage people to think of it as more multi-layered and adaptive. And then like, how do you do that? So I think that that's something that we've embraced. Toby's been you know, pretty adamant that that's, um, that's important to him. And it's, you talk about really good bosses. Um, I had a really good boss in the past where I thought he was micromanaging me, but actually what he was, he was doing is having a really good strategy implementation, which he sent me every week. He, he'd demo and use my piece of software every week and send me a list of what he liked and what he thought need improvement. And at the time I was like, like every week, right. He was like, I tried your stuff out and I'm like, I'm trying to figure out like, why do you call that that? Or why did, you know, I was like, get out of my hair. But I, what he was doing, he was really just you know, he knew that we're going to build in a certain direction, but he wanted to check in and he wanted to pair with this on me and he wanted to, to understand what my thinking was like. And he wanted to figure out if he should, like, if, if he's pointing us in the right direction, like are things going the way he thinks he's going? And I think that was like such a valuable thing, right? Those, those check-ins on the strategy, people can see that as being micromanaged, but I think that's actually a really good strategist knows how to do check-ins, knows the, the level of strategy that's needed. And I think that that requires a, a pretty deep involvement in, in, in how, how the company's running.
Yeah. If there's a bit of a secret sauce and maybe make Shopify like 1.5%, maybe a bit better than, than where we could have, I think that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah. You know, I think you, you basically answer this question that, you know, at first we talk about, you know, in the beginning, we were talking about the career change and it's not a promotion and you have to relearn, but you also answer this other question of, you know, I know that for a lot of um, engineers that become managers, it's, you know, should I keep coding? And obviously that translates to other things. So if I'm a business development person and now I lead the team of uh, business development folks, do I still participate in, you know, making deals happen? And, and, and it sounds like you're saying you can't, I mean, you say you can't coast into just not knowing what's going on anymore. And uh, so, so it is nuanced. For every craft, I think it's, it's, it's like that. I think if, if your job is, if your company's job and your mission is to build really great things, right? If it's build business development, like do really great deals or build great products, great technology. As a leader, your job is to like, how do you know that that's actually what's coming out of the team? And then how do you get involved in, in like understanding both quality checks and understanding um, like, you know, knowing who to give high fives to as well, right? The, um, I, I think it's important. So I, I, I do like, I actually personally still um, code. I, I code for two reasons. One is to stay up to date with new te te technologies, which is kind of your job as an engineer is like, what's going on in the world and let, let's keep learning about it. And two is um, I do some quality checks on our code base. I'm like, I want to know, are engineers making good decisions or not? And and I, it's funny, I don't, like, obviously, I'm, like, definitely a very, very rusted one, but I can, you still, like, I've been reading code for a long time, and I can still ask good pointy questions, and I think that's a valuable thing to do, right? I think that applies to, to, to every discipline. I think what's great about it is I think it builds a culture where, you know, we've got a culture of quality. I think bosses care about quality. Yeah. But the quality of the process, quality outcomes, quality of the code, quality of the the development environments, then your team's going to care about quality. And and I think, um, anyway, we've built Shopify a lot around the quality of the product. And if I don't like walk the talk, it, it, I think we're going to lose that as a culture. Yeah, that makes sense. So, you know, one thing that you, you just hinted at was this, this concept of uh, giving high fives when it's due. I mean, you specifically talk about, I don't know if it's pronounced matter, but MTTR, and there's mean time to resolve, but also mean time to reward. You kind of mentioned that obviously rewarding people when you see good things that you'd like to see is something that you should do as, as a leader. You also hint at like being a lot more creative in, you know, rewarding people and giving them positive feedback. Uh, I'd love to hear like some of the things that you've done in the past that you thought were creative ways of rewarding people on your team. That's a good question. I think the um, maybe just going back to the MTTR comment you mentioned, I think that was there was a section in the handbook that was called MTTR, and it was, as you can tell, very much uh, targeted towards engineers. Which is, you know, we all talk about great systems. You know, it's not that they that they fail, but that when they do fail, that they you can fix them quickly, right? That we can move forward. And um, I think teams who say that like my job is to have zero problems will build an extremely unflexible system. And I was saying, hey, let, let's adapt that word to humans. And go. What what does MTTR mean about human relationships? And uh, I think it was acknowledging that we will f up, you know, like we will, like I will f up, you will f up. But if we fix it quickly, that's cool, right? So let's let's not measure our success as a team, as a as a manager, as a leader, et cetera, on number of failures, but let's measure them on on how do you resolve them, right? So both on the giving rewards out, right? When something happens, how quickly can you high five that? And then on the other side is when someone's mad at me or someone like. Like I'll rarely phone you at home, but if I feel like I've effed up, I will because like that's my I want to min minimize MTTR, right? It's kind of like don't go to bed angry, 
with your spouse, like the same thing um, at work. And I think it's, it's important. So I think it, it, that's a bit of a mindset shift. So I think if you're trying to avoid everything, then um, you're, you're, one is you're not going to have crucial conversations. Two is um, I think you're going to let things fester, right? So just like tackle it up front or you're trying to prevent it from happening. So I think that's important. Um, rewarding people. Yeah, good question. What are some of the best ones? I'm not like it's... I like to give like a lot of high fives all the time. You know, like I, I, I'm, I'm not a big physical aid. Let's give a bunch of, you know, um, you know, t-shirts to people, et cetera. But I think uh, like maybe, maybe one of the, the favorite rewards we've done at, at Shopify recently is about two years ago, I created a Slack channel called Performance Wins. And we, we had a really big push around just making sure Shopify doesn't get slow as we get bigger. And there was so much, you know, performance work, something where, you know, you could spend a week on something and find a, you know, this code path that like accounted for 3% of your flow, but like that would not show up on a roadmap. You know, there's no, they wouldn't show up on a, you know, in our marketing page. And, and one of the things I wanted to do is how do I give, how do we both have visibility and give like, like MTTR real-time feedback to like, whether it be the intern or the principal engineer who's, who's done performance wins, right? Who've done stuff that's super visible. So that Slack channel, we went in, created it, turned off um, removing of history. So we have a, a complete history of the last two years. And I personally like that's the Slack channel I'm in the most. And I literally comment on each one. And it's such a really great thing. Cause I think, you know, like giving praise for people, like people want to know why they're getting praise, right? Like praise in public, you know, and like it's a really great way of praising in public. People can see that we value that in our team. Right. And it's, it's almost like in some ways I want to praise people in, in, in public so we can, they can realize that it's, it's valuable time to be spent. Right. Like you get promoted at Shopify for working on things like that. And it's been um, it's been a super low friction. Uh, I find really creative way. Like I think some people were like, man, I, I need a, I need my own JML's performance win channel because it's such a, you know, it's such a focused channel, too. It's literally just about people sharing their learnings on on cool performance hacks. There's no banter. It's literally just graphs. And then there's links to PRs and there's people asking questions going, wow, I didn't know you can do that with MySQL dumps, or I didn't know you, and that was such a, like, it was such a cool community building. And what was great is it wasn't just me giving high fives anymore. Right. It took on a life of its own. They were substantial, right? They weren't high five for the effort you put in or high five because I've got to do some employee of the month. There was literally high fives on like this impact that you're creating. And people were so proud about showing off what, what it is that they're done. So maybe that's uh, the performance wins channel was maybe the, most creative. That's awesome. I love that. I, I know we're running up against time, and uh, but there is a question that I needed to ask you because I was very curious about it myself, which is in there, you kind of kind of reference this thing saying that you want to avoid the no problem syndrome. Uh, what is the no problem syndrome? So that's that's super interesting. I, I, I'd probably rephrase that now if I had to rewrite that section, but I, I, I almost call it layeronitis. Layeronitis. Um, it's not in the medical dictionary, but it's a it's an engineering thing. And because um, I think part of your, your job at leadership, when you're when you're building things, you got engineering teams um, who are kind of evolving a, a system, right? Like it's not like you write software from scratch. You're always evolving something. And I need leaders who, again, are really good at strategy because a lot of the decisions about that are about busting layers, right? And going actually, you know what? That piece of code should go there and not there. Or you know what we need? I know that I, you know we don't want to ship the org chart, so I want to put code in the right places. And I, I find that um, layeronitis is when when teams feel like code goes into the structure of where their team's at, and that's that's the scope where they solve problems, right? So the the not my problem is like, well, that's someone else's problem behind that other API, or that's the database's problem, or that's the UI problem. Like I want a no problem team, like full stack 
take ownership of like full accountability because again, like our software evolves way more than, than we're writing new things. And there's walls that were put up that should be torn down. And unless team sees those, and I think the leadership team, like the lead engineers, um, the managers actually ask those questions and go, listen, like, and, and has a cue also, like when the team goes, actually, that's like, oh, that performance problem is happening in another area. Like, you know, I told them about it, they didn't fix it. I'm like, no, that's, if, it, if it, that performance problem is affecting you, that's your problem now, right? Or, oh, that's a UI team. I don't have a designer to do that. Cool. Like, why do you think we don't have a good UI kit that we need a designer to create a form? You know, like there, there's all these cues that your team can give you about having layer and and which is essentially like having their team fit in their own little box and they, they feel like um, they can't exit it, right? From a, where's your code go? How do you influence other teams? And how do you take accountability for problems? Because the reality is problems that are gonna be thrown at you at your company like don't fit into one file, yeah. you know? So it's like, and, and as a leader, like you need full accountability for solving a problem. I think that's, that's a mindset I think is really important to actually build, build great systems. And I think build great teams, you need that as a, a, a driving principle. Yeah, I think like from a military standpoint, this concept of like extreme ownership. So I think uh, I think it makes a lot of sense. Jamal, this has been incredible. So many great insights. I can't wait to share this uh, conversation with everyone. One of the questions that we ask just to wrap things up is, you know, for all the leaders, for all the managers out there, anyone kind of looking to continue to improve their craft, uh, get becoming a better manager and leader, what advice uh, would you have uh, for them? It could be resources, tips, tricks, whatever uh, that that you think would would help them in in their journey. Maybe going back to our original chat, like treat this as a career change. You know, you'll you'll get out of being a good leader the amount of work you put into it. A lot of our environment's not set up so that we, we didn't read the right book to doing it. So we probably have to put double effort into it. Our team's expected of us. And I think it. Uh, what's been great about me, honestly, like I brought so much of this back into my relationships, my marriage, my kid, like it actually makes you a better human as well, right? It's not really just about work. Put, put a training plan together, right? My handbook was just my personal training plan because I felt duly unprepared to do it. So um, it, it, for, for all of us, it, it might seem like it was an overnight success or we had it naturally born. That's all BS. None of us were actually naturally born leaders. Um, I think a lot of us had to put a lot of work into this, so it's possible, but, and it's, it's very rewarding, but there's, there's work and homework and, and assignments and screw ups to be done and, and, uh, don't give up. It's, it's really rewarding. Thank you again for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Aiden. And that's it for today. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Supermanagers podcast. You can find the show notes and transcript at www.fellow.app/supermanagers. If you like the content, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you can get notified when we post the next episode. And please tell your friends and fellow managers about it. It'd be awesome if you could help us spread the word about the show. See you next time.